This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Zoo's Incense. They make exquisite hand-rolled incense cones with natural ingredients sourced from five continents, and they never use synthetics or charcoal. I've fallen nose over heels in love with their many magical blends, such as their Moon Mix, which is made from myrrh, sandalwood, and orris root. Go to zoosincense.com, that's Z as in zebra, O-U-Z as in zebra, incense.com, and use offer code WITCH to get free shipping on orders over $20. Let Zoo's Incense transform your space into a sanctuary. The world is filled with bewitching people. And you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. And welcome to the Witch Wave. Spring is just around the corner. Next week, if we're getting technical. And I'm pretty dang happy about it. Now, I try to be present and not to rush through life and to honor the seasons and the cycles and so on. But if I'm being honest, I really can't wait to turn the page on these past few months. This winter has been full of lots of personal upheaval for me. Some of it very exciting some of it a bit painful, and all of it challenging. And when you top all of that off with the political climate and the climate climate, it's all been a little bit a lot. This year, the spring equinox, or vernal equinox as it's sometimes called, falls on March 20th, Though I always like to remind people that if you celebrate any of these holy days a couple days early or a couple days late, it's all good. The important thing is to somehow mark these transitions and give yourself the time and space to contemplate and celebrate in whatever way feels right to you. The word vernal comes from the Latin vernalis, which simply means relating to spring. But it also brings to mind words like verdant or my favorite, viridescent, both of which have to do with the color green. This color is such a potent one as it's associated with the essence of rebirth and vitality itself. It brings to mind that vibrant current, that life force, that chi that is within and throughout everything. 
There is a beautiful Latin word for this green energy, and that word is veriditas. It refers to the living green energy of nature, but also to one's own spiritual health. Though it's a word that was used a bit before her time, it was popularized in the 12th century by a mystic and creative polymath named Hildegard von Bingen. She was an abbess who had ecstatic visions, as well as being a prolific writer, a botanist and herbalist, and a composer. One of her most beautiful musical compositions is titled O Nobilissima Viriditas, or O Noblest Green Viridity. An English translation of the lyrics goes like this. O most noble greening power, rooted in the sun, who shines in dazzling serenity in a sphere that no earthly excellence can comprehend. You are enclosed in the embrace of divine mysteries. You blush like the dawn and burn like a flame of the sun. Equinoxes are when the day and the night are of equal length. It's a time of balance, resetting, and recentering. The spring equinox is also a pagan holy day called Ostara, sometimes called Ostara, Ostara, Ostara. But however you say it, many believe that this is what evolved to become Easter. Ostara and Easter are holidays about rebirth, and the symbol of the Easter egg is most definitely a pre-Christian holdover that symbolizes fertility and new life. It's a fantastic time of year to come out of your own shell, so to speak, to feel your pulse start to quicken, and that generative creative energy inside you reawaken after being in hibernation through the dark months. It's also a time that's related to the maiden aspect of the triple goddess archetype. No matter what your age is, maiden energy is available to you right now. The maiden is about new beginnings, and she encourages us to plug back into the spirit of innocence and youth and fresh ideas. On this vernal equinox, I hope you are able to look at the world with a renewed sense of wonder. May we all find ways to honor our vitality and recommit to nourishing ourselves inwardly and externally so that we can approach our lives with vim and vigor and veriditas. And lucky for us, my guest today, Gabriella Herstic, can help light that green spark. She's a young and gifted witch and writer who makes me feel hopeful about future generations and who is the carrier of some pretty powerful maiden magic, albeit with an edgy fashion twist. But before we get to that, 
First, let's check in and see what's come through on the witch wire. Who is it? Witches. Veronica writes, You mentioned in the last episode with Nicola Scott that entering your 30s can bring in transformative energy in your life. I've started listening to the podcast in early February around my 30th birthday, and your words gave me chills as if something significant just entered my life. Your podcast gave me that aha moment and inspired me to accept my complex connection to magic and let it have a voice. Magic is real. Here's a question, though. How do I make witchy friends? I recently moved to Dallas, Texas, and I'm not sure it has any witchy scene. Well, first of all, Veronica, thank you so much for sharing this with me. It's always a thrill to hear when listeners connect to the podcast in meaningful ways. So you just turned 30 and you moved. That is a lot of change at once, so I can see how you might be feeling excited and maybe even, I don't know, a little overwhelmed? I'm just projecting here. But I love that you're claiming your magical self and also that you want to connect with others to share that self with. That's really, really spectacular. So how do you find the witches? I know it can be challenging in certain parts of the country and the world. But Dallas is a pretty big place, so I have a hunch there are at least a few witchy folks floating about. First, I might recommend looking for a few different types of shops. The most obvious one is going to be a new age shop or a cult shop. Sometimes they call themselves metaphysical shops. But if you can't easily find one of those, the next best bet might be an herbal shop or botanical apothecary, some place that's associated with natural healing. And if you can't find either of those, the third type of business you might want to look for is some sort of spiritual healing center. I'm thinking of a place that offers energy work or Reiki or some other form of alternative healing to the community, whether through lessons and classes or through services that they offer. Once you figure out where these shops or businesses are, go ahead and head over to one. These spaces, especially the occult shops and herbalism shops, tend to be really nice hubs for all kinds of witchly communities and activities. Sometimes these stores host their own circles or classes, but even if they don't, a lot of times they know about other gatherings or other people in the community and they can point you in the right direction. There might even be a bulletin board or pagan magazine or newsletter there that you can read or subscribe to. Or if you're up to it, just ask the people who work there. And look, I know sometimes it can be intimidating to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and, and talk to people about this. But remember, if they have an attitude or make you feel uncomfortable or unwelcome, that's 100% on them and not your problem. But more often than not, these folks tend to be really helpful and kind and friendly. So give it a try. And hey, if you don't like the vibe from the shop or the people that you're talking to, go somewhere else. 
You might have to try a few, but I'm certain you're going to be able to connect with some place or someone if you just go on a little journey like that. The second thing I'd recommend is pretty obvious, but Google is your friend. I just tried typing in Dallas Pagan, and immediately I'm seeing meetups that you can attend, a website for a coven, and something called the DFW Pagan Unity Fest, which is happening in May. And I'm sure there's tons more. You just have to look and trust that by showing up and trying new things, eventually you're going to meet people that you click with. Good luck, and hey, let me know how it goes. I'm totally rooting for you, Veronica. Now, on to my guest. Gabriella Herstic is a writer, fashion critic, and a witch. She has written extensively about ritual, style, and spiritual culture for such places as ID, Broadly, and Hello Giggles. And she also runs the monthly Ask a Witch column at Nylon. She's also quite a style icon herself and an exciting new voice for the modern witchcraft movement. Her book, Craft, How to Be a Modern Witch, is out from Penguin Random House this month in the UK and will be released in the US under the title Inner Witch in September. It was such a delight to get to speak with her when she Skyped into the show from her home in LA. Gabriella Herstick, welcome to the Witch Wave. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. I feel as if we sort of know each other better than we do because of social media. So it's nice to actually get to talk. I know, I feel like we're already friends. So I'm so excited to talk to you. Yay! So, Gabriella, you describe yourself as a writer a fashion alchemist, which is a term I love and I'm going to need to hear all about, and a witch. And you're also the author of a brand new book called Craft, How to Be a Modern Witch, which is going to be released this month out of the UK. And then it's going to be released here in the States in September under a different name, which I believe is Inner Witch. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So awesome. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you so much. So the word multifaceted gets thrown around a lot. But it's one that's particularly apt for you, I think, both in terms of your creative output and also in terms of the ways in which I've seen you self-identify. So I'd love to start with the things that you make with your creative output. You write for a ton of different places like Nylon, Hello Giggles, ID, and you write about a lot of different things. And I think a lot of people are probably familiar with your witchcraft writing, but can you talk a little bit about all of the other topics that you write about? Because witchcraft is just the tip of the iceberg with you. Yeah, of course. Um, and thank you. I love the word multifaceted. So that like really 
It means a lot. I love that. So my background in writing is actually in fashion writing. I went to school to be a fashion writer and studied fashion merchandising and have such a special place in my heart for like runway collection reviews and designer interviews. So I've done a lot of that stuff. But as far as my work for specifically um, Nylon and Hello Giggles, it's kind of all over the board. So I've written about like female-friended punk bands for Nylon and taking um, box floral essences for two weeks and how that's changed me. I've written about music and love. For Hello Giggles, I was hired on as a Latinx culture writer. My mom is from Mexico. I grew up in the, the Jewish community in Mexico City and I grew up going to Mexico and it's very near and dear to my heart. So writing about Latinx content content was super cool. I'm kind of more focused on everything mystical at Hello Giggles now, but I've literally written about like hostess cupcakes and <laughs> and just like random stuff, like whatever they needed me to write. But I would say that the main things that I like to cover are love and relationships and sex and fashion and witchy things, all things mystical. But I I mean, I feel like I've written about a lot of stuff. I would definitely just say that I'm a writer. So let's start talking about fashion. I mean, you have incredible personal style as evidenced by your gorgeous Instagram feed. And I'm going to do probably the embarrassing thing, which is I'm going to describe how you look, <laughs> which is like such a, I don't know, I'm like cringing at myself for starting there. But I think it paints a really interesting picture. You know, you have a shaved side of your head. You wear these really kind of punk rock influenced or rock influenced outfits, lots of fishnets and leather. and But, but it all is through this really kind of high fashion lens. It looks like you're having lots and lots of fun with your fashion. You don't really look like anybody else, even though I think you're nodding to a lot of different subcultures. So how did you develop your own personal style and why do you think fashion is important? Oh, I love that question. So I actually am celebrating seven years with my side shave like next week. Happy birthday, side shave. I know it sounds really weird. I honestly like I get my side shaved every couple weeks by the same barber. And when I first got it done, I was in 11th grade in high school. And it was kind of the first thing that I did that really defined my style. It was like, honestly, kind of the first time that I rebelled against my parents in like any physical way. Like, I wasn't really dyeing my hair. And I didn't, you know, like really rebel in that way. So I kind of attribute getting my side shave as my initiation into being a fashion witch, which is a title that I definitely feel like I wear. I've always been super passionate about being my own person. And I think it's probably partially because I'm a twin. So I've always kind of been compared to somebody else. Also, I'm really, really Aquarius. So I just like being different and being myself. Aquarius, hey! No, I'm so excited to talk to you because I'm like, she's also an Aquarius. <laughs> but I've known I wanted to work in fashion since I was like 14. I just decided one day that I wanted to be a fashion writer. And I think that's kind of when I started to figure out my style. But like, I was also very, very, very skinny and didn't really fit into a lot of clothing. So I think once I started developing a little bit and like being able to find clothing that resonated with me, I just went a little bit buck wild and figured out my style. It's definitely evolved. I think over the past probably couple years is the first time that I've really not only loved what I've worn, but felt like super, super confident in, in it. I'm not really super influenced by trends. 
there are definitely trends that I like, but I've been wearing a lot more vintage and shopping less. And I really just see my style as a puzzle. And style for me is a way to create an armor between me and the world, but in a fun way. Like, I'm really enamored with the idea of glamour and making people view me in a certain way, but also being able to view myself in a certain way through clothing. It's definitely been a process. I think it really did just start with my shaved head and it evolved from there, I would say. You know, we've talked before on the podcast about fashion and beauty as their own kind of magic. You know, I use the word shapeshifter a lot. And of course, the word glamour has such magical connotations. When you're getting dressed, are you getting dressed with any kind of magical intention? Yeah. So I mean, honestly, it depends on, you know, what I'm doing that day, what time I have to wake up, because sometimes I'm just like, don't feel like it and don't really have the energy to be super intentional. But one of my favorite things to do in the morning is kind of create a ritual out of my fashion and my my glamour, I would say. I like to pull tarot cards as inspiration for my outfits when I'm not really sure what to wear. I'll check where the moon is because I, I love her and she very much influences like the more subtle physical aspects of myself when it comes to fashion. But I definitely take the time to honor myself and sit and breathe and, yeah, just make a ritual out of it. But, you know, sometimes if I have to wake up really early, then I'm I'm not going to put my cat eye on and I'm just going to, you know, do a little bit of a, um, something more simple. But it's honestly my favorite part of the day is getting ready and figuring out my outfit. And it doesn't even have to be in a more magical setting. Like just the act of putting on an outfit is magical for me. I'm going to have to hear a lot more about this tarot card fashion. (laughs) What does that look like? What is the ritual that you're doing? I mean, nine times out of ten, I will pull a few tarot cards each morning as a way to get an idea of how my day is going to be and what I need to keep in mind. Usually just asking for like what I need to know that day, talking to my spirit guides or, you know, source universe, that kind of thing. I honestly have a lot of tarot decks, so it depends on how I feel, but I love to adapt the energy of the tarot card or the imagery, even the colors, and filter that through style. So like a lot of times I'll match my makeup to a tarot card and then I'll take a selfie and I'll kind of share about my interpretation of the card and what I'm feeling on Instagram. Or I'll, if I pull like the magician, wear something that channels that as far as my outfits go. But it's kind of fluid, but I, I found that there's a super beautiful physical way for me to get inspired for my clothing and also connecting to something a little bit bigger than just an outfit. That's beautiful. And you mentioned that clothes are an armor for you. What is it that you're trying to protect? You know, that kind of changes. Sometimes I'll just feel super emo and I'll be like, I need to protect my emotions because I'm going to cry 10 times and I don't really (laughs) deal with people. So I'll wear black. I work a lot with the goddess Venus and Something I've been working for slash on is keeping an open heart. And sometimes when my heart's super tender, I'll wear pink or I'll wear my rose quartz. I feel like it's an armor, but it's also like a veil that's protecting me slash allowing me to move through the world in a way that I choose. I am really lucky with the area I live in. I don't really get super catcalled, but, you know, it happens and for me, like wearing spiky stuff or black or something that kind of gives me more of a sense of protection. 
which also evolves with just how I'm feeling and what's in my closet and calling me at that time is pretty powerful for me as well because it makes me feel less vulnerable than if I were to wear something that's just really simple and quote-unquote feminine or girly. So you are half of a set of twins. I know that I'm not supposed to say two twins because that's redundant. So can you talk about your other half? Yeah, so her name is Alexandra. We actually lived together in L.A., which is kind of funny. Neither of us really anticipated living together, and it kind of just happened. We lived together in college and then ended up both moving here, which is kind of cool. She actually took the photos from my book, so we're definitely creative collaborators. She is a photographer, and she's super, super talented. So, like, 90% of my photos that aren't just, like, selfies are probably from her. And we're definitely very similar, but also very different. Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with the idea that we have the same birth chart, but it definitely manifests in different ways, Hmm. which is weird. It's weird to think about. But yeah, she's, she's amazing. But it's definitely having a twin is like having a constant mirror. So she, she teaches me a lot about myself while I'm also learning about being in a relationship with my sibling who I've literally been roommates with. So she's awesome. I love her. And are you guys identical? We thought we were identical until we were 11 or 12 when we took a blood test and found out we were fraternal. So we are not identical, but we thought we were. How interesting. But you do share some kind of visuals, like you you look related. Yeah, we definitely, I think we look like siblings and not twins. People tend to think we either look exactly alike or nothing alike, which is... (sighs) A little bit strange. <gasps> okay, then. And is she a witch as well? Um, I don't think she identifies as one. She is still kind of figuring out her own spiritual path. You know, we grew up Jewish. My dad's a rabbi. And I think she keeps the framework of Judaism, but I think she would probably identify as more spiritual than religious. Yep. Like a lot of people, I'm sure you've read those statistics that more people than ever consider themselves spiritual and less people than ever consider themselves religious. It's really interesting. Yeah. And so do you guys have any uncanny twin magic? I mean, we all hear these stories about shared dreams and ESP, and I imagine you get that question a lot anyway, but particularly because you do identify as a witch. Have you picked up on any kind of psychic connection there? I definitely think we're connected. It's a little bit more subtle. Like, we'll be thinking the kind of same thing, or like, we'll say something at the exact same time, but it's not as much like, if she gets hurt, I don't physically feel it but we're definitely very connected that's probably more convenient yes exactly you just mentioned that your mom is mexican your dad is a rabbi so i'm assuming witchcraft isn't something that you were brought up with is that correct yes that is correct so how did you find your way into this witchy world yeah so my mom is super spiritual like has been into crystals and meditation and energy and breathing since before it was cool. So I I grew up with that. I was honestly always kind of an Aquarius crystal child. One of my mom's first memories of me is holding a crystal pyramid when I was two and like breathing with it because I was angry at my sister, which is (laughs) still makes me laugh. I've always been 
interested in that. My my dad really fostered my curiosity for God and religion and the unknown. And I very much grew up interested in spirituality and all that stuff since I was little. But when I was in sixth grade, so I think I was 11, I was gifted a fairy oracle deck. And I just fell in love with the fairies and was obsessed. Ended up buying a book called A Witch's Guide to Fairy Folk. And I read it and I was like, oh, like this is totally, this is what I am. It just, the only way I just can describe it is it it felt like coming home. Mm. It just familiar and safe. And I'd actually gone to Salem, Massachusetts on Halloween a few years before with my aunt who was born on Halloween. And I went to the witchcraft museum and learned about witchcraft. And when I was reading this book had um, almost like a flashback to that. And that summer I went to a month long Jewish sleepaway camp where I cried every day for a week straight and was miserable and like read about goddesses and wrote letters to Bastet. And by the time I left, I was like, I'm a witch. Like I'm, I just know this is what I am. And my parents kind of thought it was a phase and it wasn't. And since then it's just been developing my own practice and path. I identified as Wiccan for a really long time and I don't identify with that anymore, but that was kind of my entryway slash starting point in the Bible Belt. That was how I discovered it, I would say. Wow. So what part of the Bible Belt were you in? I lived in Georgia. I lived like 45 minutes north of Atlanta in a little suburb called Johns Creek. And did you grow up there for your entire childhood? I moved around. So I was born in California and then we moved to New York, Buffalo, New York, which is very different than LA. And then I grew up in Georgia. So I went from fifth grade up until I graduated high school in Georgia. Okay. So that's where your formative years were. Yes, exactly. And so your dad is a rabbi, your mom is this, you know, let's call it new age spiritual kind of woman. When they saw that you were not growing out of your witch phase, did you have to have any kind of conversations with them? Were there challenges that you had to navigate? Or because they're both spiritual people, they were both like, great. Um, No, I mean... It's funny is my dad was kind of always a little bit more welcoming with it than my mom, just because up until really recently, I feel like most people had the misconception that witchcraft is like satanic and devil worship and evil and negative. And especially being from Mexico, witchcraft kind of has a different connotation there. So she actually wouldn't even let me buy books with the word witch in the title, which is funny. I I just really didn't talk to them a lot about it growing up, besides the fact that I had to be kind of careful about buying certain books. They never really stopped me from practicing. And when I was in middle school and high school, like my practice wasn't as deep as it is now, as intense as it is now. And I really wasn't until I started writing this book, I think that my parents understood the scope of my practice with witchcraft, that it really is a big part of my life and who I am and my passion. But my dad and my mom, more my dad was more worried that people didn't understand what witchcraft was and was were going to assume that it was something evil and that like that could prevent me from getting jobs or like that's something that could be detrimental to my future. And I think now he kind of obviously realizes that it's not Satan worship and I'm not eating babies and like that people are kind of finally starting to understand that it it's not a negative thing, just in the mainstream in general. So, But babies are so delicious. I mean, they're so tender. They're so succulent. The blood. I just, that's my favorite part, man. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it keeps you young. I think Madonna, doesn't she drink baby's blood? I've read that somewhere. I'm sure. I'm sure she's a witch. (laughs) Who isn't? So you were growing up with Judaism. Is your mom Jewish as well, or is she Catholic? No, she's Jewish. So she, I'm just pretty much as Jewish as you can get. But my mom grew up in the Jewish community in Mexico City. Oh, I see. So were there a lot of Mexican influences on you guys when you were growing up? Yeah, so we had a nanny who spoke Spanish. We ate Mexican food every day. Like when we were, Alex and I were children, our mom would speak to us in Spanish and my dad would speak to us in English. So technically they're both my first languages. But yeah, I definitely was surrounded by the the culture. My mom's whole side of the family is still in Mexico, in Mexico City. So we, you know, I grew up going there and visiting my family and taking it in. So that's even more kind of complicated if you think about it. I, I imagine anyway that, you know, you're Mexican by culture and upbringing and yet I don't even know if the word ethnic is is the best word anymore these days, but it's not as if you are Mexican by blood or by genetics. Is that fair to say? That's exactly it. I say I'm, you know, I'm ethnically Jewish and I'm culturally also Jewish, but I'm culturally Mexican as well. Okay. And do you incorporate Mexican culture and Jewish spirituality into your witchcraft or do you kind of keep them all in separate buckets? Honestly, I was super turned off by Judaism up until like now, pretty much. I'm kind of just finally starting to learn about Kabbalah and read about Jewish mysticism. And I'm starting to incorporate that into my own practice. But I just was so surrounded by it growing up. My dad's temple in in Georgia was really big and everybody knew my sister and I as the rabbi's daughters. And I just needed a lot of space from that part of my identity, but now I'm kind of starting to incorporate that into my practice. And as far as my Mexican side, a lot of the mysticism there is more revolved around Catholicism. So for me, it's a little bit different incorporating that. It's more of like the essence of my magic and who I am. You know, I work with cornflower a lot and marigold, which is one of the Dia de los Muertos herbs that you put on altars. So it's a little bit more subtle as far as the the Mexican side of it goes. It's so interesting. My husband is the son of an Episcopal priest. And I have a few friends whose parents were either rabbis or priests or some kind of leader in a religious group. And it's that cliche, the PK or the priest's kid, I suppose you could say the RK, the rabbi's kid, that because you kind of see behind the curtain, in a way, it can make you less captivated or less taken by all of the ritual. Did, did you find that happening as the daughter of a rabbi? Um, yes. Honestly, I think for me, it was less of seeing behind the scenes and more of like, I started identifying as a pagan witch when I was so young, like before my bat mitzvah, that I was just kind of jaded and turned off by all of it. And honestly, a little bit resentful that I still had to like go to Friday night services and go to high holidays. But my dad is a really incredible, amazing rabbi. And that's something I've always appreciated about him. I think it was more of just the institution slash religious part and less the specifics. Also, people just wouldn't ever know my sister and I's name. And like in the bathroom, whenever we were in the temple, it'd be like, oh, you're the rabbi's daughter. Okay, bye. Like I had a dollar <laughs> yeah. time I had that. It would be like, I'd be rich. Yep, yep, totally. So speaking of bat mitzvahs, 
I find them to be really interesting rituals because, and I had one as well when I was 13, because in some ways in today's society, they feel like a little bit, I don't know, archaic or premature because it's not like you have your bat mitzvah and suddenly you're going to, you know, have a baby or get married or whatever it was back when it was like this original rite of passage. And yet turning 13 is pretty monumental and puberty is real. That is a real transformative and powerful time. And it's also, I think, a time when a lot of us get interested in magic and witchcraft for whatever reasons. So what was it about the bat mitzvah ritual in particular that made you bristle? So like I mentioned before, I was sent off to this month-long Jewish sleepaway camp, and that was the summer before my bat mitzvah and when I was there it really solidified the fact that for me I was like I'm I don't believe in one god I believe in you know many faces of god and goddess and I'm a witch so I think it it was just the fact that I still had to go through this rite of passage into this religion that I already didn't really identify with anymore and it was so much work I mean it was literally like eight or nine months of studying Hebrew and my dad was our teacher and he was honestly like really hard on my sister and I Mm. and being 13 is just like horrible generally Uh, (laughs) I was a late bloomer so it's like I wasn't even going through puberty yet I was like waiting to go through puberty and it was just you know the process of going through bat mitzvah is a lot of work just generally and then for me it was this added added thing that not only was I going through it with my sister and my dad, but I also felt like it wasn't something that I believed in. So I was just like, I want to get this over with. I'm not, I'm not Jewish. Yeah. It just didn't fit. Yeah. I, I have such complicated feelings about it because like I said, on the one hand, there's something archaic about it. On the other hand, I do think You know, there's now menstruation rituals that in the pagan community, sometimes people do for young women who are menstruating for the first time. And it can be really beautiful and meaningful. And for me, when I was growing up, my mom actually had a bat mitzvah when she was, I want to say in her early 40s. And my grandma had a bat mitzvah when she was probably in her gosh, 50s or 60s, because when they were little, women weren't allowed to go through this ritual. So there, there was something like really feminist and badass about that reclamation and about making space for the divine feminine. And yet for me, I didn't feel like the bat mitzvah like was contextualized in any way. Like there really wasn't anything about you, you're a woman now. What does that mean? It was just like, up, oh, you're 13, and so now you read from the Torah. And that that was kind of it, at least in my synagogue. I don't know if you felt the same way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you phrasing that, I've honestly never thought about it like that. Like, I definitely didn't feel like a woman when I was 13, because I, I wasn't one. Like, I didn't get my period for another two years. So it was like, I was going through this initiation, but never felt connected to it. You know, I feel like maybe if I had more women that were going through it with me and kind of helping me through, then it would have probably been more powerful and I would have felt more connected to it. But 
I mean, Judaism still is a patriarchal religion, so maybe if there was more of an emphasis on the divine feminine, I would have, I would have definitely felt more connected to the process of it. Totally, totally. Now you identify as a millennial witch. You're in your mid-20s, is that right? Yes, I'm 24, so. Oh, so young, so dewy, so fresh. <laughs> so I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 37. And so I grew up with this really analog 1980s childhood. And yet I feel very defensive about millennials and millennial witches in particular, because I feel that, first of all, youth culture is always dismissed. I don't care what generation you're in, people are always going to roll their eyes about the young people and how they're annoying in certain ways or whatever. And also when it comes to millennial witchcraft and and kind of the social media driven witch or the Instagram witch, whatever you want to call her or him, sometimes people can dismiss that or trivialize it or treat it as if it's not serious spiritual practice. So I'm wondering, how do you feel about being a millennial and being a millennial witch specifically? Ooh, I love that. Um, honestly, I love being a millennial because I my childhood was like kind of the end of analog too. Like I think we had like a big computer in my house when I was a child, but it was like I think I could go on like kid pics and word like word document. Like I could write like letters and stuff. But I didn't, you know, I didn't have the internet. I didn't I got a phone when I was thirteen and then I don't think I had internet on my phone until like high school or something. I love being a millennial because I really think that my generation, the generation below me, were stepping up and changing things. Like I think the world is in a really a little bit scary place, but there's so many of us rising up and stepping into our power and like I think that everything happens for a reason and I I really do feel like I was kind of feel like I chose to be here at this time for it to do this work and to help people tap into their own magic and I I love being a millennial witch I've met so many friends through Instagram I've gotten jobs through Twitter and I've made friends through Twitter like I I really think that the internet especially for us little witchy babies that grew up in places that didn't have a community, I think the internet can help us feel way less alone and find that community no matter where we are. Like, if I didn't have Instagram or Twitter or the internet, I would have felt so much more isolated growing up in Georgia as a witch. It really did help me find other people, and I really think that we're able to connect. It's interesting because I feel like on one hand, social media definitely makes us almost more disconnected from real life but at the same time if you're using it and utilizing it with intention like you can find so many amazing things and people and like find things that inspire you and collaborate with other people and I think that magic and spirituality has to evolve with the time just to stay relevant and I think that it makes sense for it to kind of intertwine or weave into what it means to be millennial and, you know, utilizing the internet as a way to create community. I just, I think it's really, really valuable, honestly. 
Absolutely. I totally agree. I do want to dive into a little bit more of the Instagram witch and Tumblr witch uh, trend, if we want to call it that, or sea change. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You've heard me gush about Mithras candles many times before, and they love you guys so much that they're now offering free shipping if you use offer code WITCH at their website, MithrasCandle.com. You know, 2,000 years ago in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras candles. They're handmade from the purest golden cappings beeswax, and with that natural, subtle honey and floral scent, Mithras candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries of your life. So go to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for free shipping today. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Gabriella Herstick. So Gabriella, we were just talking about the Instagram witch and the rise of the social media witch. Do you see any sort of drawbacks to this? And, and let me kind of preface this by saying I get asked the question all the time, like, are you letting the mystery leak out too much by sharing, you know, your altar picks? Or are there certain things that we should keep offline to preserve that holy space? What do you think about all that? Yeah, so I mean, I definitely see both sides of it. I love Instagram. It's one of my honestly favorite things. I just think it's really cool to have a community and be able to share on one hand, I think it's a super powerful way to spread information and tap into kind of the collective. I, like I mentioned before, I'll take selfies with my tarot cards and then share what I'm feeling. Or I'm definitely in the camp of being like radically vulnerable and just sharing my own practice. But I'm learning and I'm still figuring out what feels good to share and what feels too sacred to share. I feel like a few years ago, I would definitely like share my altar photos and share like a lot of the stuff that I was doing. And now I have a practice that I share and then a level to it that I don't feel comfortable sharing. Like I honestly don't really even feel comfortable showing my working altars. My whole dresser is my altar and there's parts of it that have spell candles that have been going for like however many weeks. And that feels too sacred for me to share, but I've totally utilized Instagram and done spells where I've taken photos and infused the energy of whatever likes I'm getting to kind of leak into that. So there are things that are sacred, too sacred to share, but that's up to each witch and what feels good for them because like magic, it's going to be totally catered to who you are and how you're feeling. But I think it's super valuable to have this platform where we can we can share and we can connect and we can be inspired by one another's practice. And I think it's a way for us to almost help to define our own practices a little bit better because we kind of got to see how other people are, are doing it and we can take inspiration from it and also be reminded that nobody's practice is going to look the same. And that that's one of my favorite parts about witchcraft is I can learn from others while still having this thing that's unique in mine. Yeah, I, I love Instagram. I think it's a valuable resource for witches, especially a free resource for witches. 
I agree. And, you know, it's something that I've been navigating myself. I think we all are, whether in regards to our witchcraft practices or just how much we're sharing of our lives in general. I think we're all trying to figure out this relatively new terrain. But I think one of the most positive sides of the hashtag witches of Instagram is there is still this feeling of... um, I don't know, risk, shame, even danger that swirls around witches and witchcraft. And by sharing this and by uniting with other people who share these interests and values and practices, we're helping to eradicate shame. And I think that's really, really important. And Again, I think it's something that, like fashion and beauty, because a lot of feminine people or female people or queer people are attracted to it, can be so easily dismissed and trivialized. And that's often built or often coming from a place of misogyny. I don't know if you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. Something that I'm constantly working through is how, you know, is my practice with fashion and beauty superficial? Is this something that has depth? And I think the legacy of the witch and who the witch is, it's we, she's always been stigmatized. She's always been somebody who's different. And my whole work revolves around sharing these stories and highlighting who she is. And I definitely think that by sharing and by being honest, not only are we helping to redefine this stereotype of the witch, but by sharing, we're giving not only permission for ourselves, but for other people to share. Like... And once we have all these other people that are doing it, we don't feel as alone. And I definitely think that there's so much value in in coming forward and just reclaiming what it means to be a witch. And it's, yeah, it's different for everybody, but I just really truly believe in being yourself and being who you are and that by doing that, you're also giving permission for other people to embrace who they are. And I totally think that relates to both witchcraft and beauty and glamour and all of that. Absolutely. Now, speaking of beauty and glamour, you have another project that you've started recently called the Temple of Glamour. Can you share a little bit about your intention for this project? Yeah, of course. So Temple of Glamour right now is just an Instagram. It started by my friend Ivory Woods of Forgotten Feather Vintage and myself. And we create these rituals in dedication to the goddess Venus, who is the Roman goddess of glamour, beauty, sex, and love. And we do photo shoots that are super ultra feminine and each have like a little bit of a different theme. And we use both Ivory's vintage and my clothing and they're in dedication in honor of Venus, but also in honor of ourselves and our own glamour and magic. And we'll style ourselves and Ivory takes the photos. And then when we post them, I'll write these kind of channeled poems, usually that have to do with Venus and our offering to her or glamour. And we're going to be building a website and have information on glamour and also like Venus and working specifically with goddesses of love. And hopefully I I really want to write some rituals and invocations and that sort of thing. And just share this like very fun, very physical form of glamour worship. We've honestly been taking photos and dressing up for so long that this was kind of a way for us to do it in a more intentional and spiritual context. And it's been really cool. Like, you know, we set up an altar and we'll invoke Venus and we'll like talk to her. And then 
close it out once the ritual is done. But the magic of it, in my opinion, kind of lives even past that through these photos that we get to share and through these these poems that I get to write. And it's it's just been such a such an amazing experience. And it's we've gotten so much positive feedback. It's actually really, really amazing. Yeah, your feed is so beautiful and it's so different from your personal feed because your personal feed feels very like dark and edgy and gritty and this is like pastel and it has a little bit of a soft kind of retro feel to it and I just really admire the ways in which you're taking the worship of this goddess and the honoring of this goddess into the modern age. I think it's really, really exciting and really inspiring. Oh my god, thank you so much. I definitely love playing with my style and ivory style is a lot more in the pastel range, but I definitely think that Temple of Glamour is our love child. It's kind of taking elements of both of who we are and merging them in honor of something bigger than both of us. Totally. And it reminds me of and I imagine a lot of listeners are familiar with this, but the invocation that's called the charge of the goddess. For those of you who don't know this poem or this prayer, a little background on it. A lot of people are familiar with Starhawk's adaptation of it, which is gorgeous. You should go Google it. It's a really beautiful prayer. And it's in the voice of the goddess. And she is... A lot of people, when they're gathering or when they're doing their own ritual, they might read this poem or this invocation. But Starhawk actually got it from Doreen Valiente, who interpreted it from Gerald Gardner, who drew from Aleister Crowley and from The Gospel of Witches, which was written by Charles Godfrey Leland. Anyhow, definitely look it up. But the quote that a lot of people tend to highlight from this invocation goes, let my worship be in the heart that rejoices for behold, all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. And so I feel like what you and your collaborator are channeling are a way to honor the goddess through pleasure and through love and through beauty. And I actually think that especially in this day and age, but certainly in the context of, you know, a history of femininity, which has been systemically oppressed, that that is actually a huge act of resistance that to connect to beauty and love and pleasure in a sacred way is quite strong and rebellious, even as it might seem soft and glittery. Oh, absolutely. I mean, going out on the streets and presenting yourself in a feminine or femme way is in such a patriarchal society that like doesn't want us to be our fullest selves and this really for us is a way to honor not only goddess but like the goddess that's in us we do it as yeah like you said as a form of ritual as a form of pleasure and it totally is just us being our fullest selves even though I'm sure there are plenty of people who don't want that to be and are threatened by women who claim their own power so I would say it is resistance but I think the way that we view more is of just a way for us to create magic out of things that already bring us joy. I love that. That's beautiful, Gabriella. 
Now, I just want to wind things down by making sure that we talk about your new book, which is so exciting. So tell me more about Craft, How to Be a Modern Witch. What will readers find in this book? Yeah, so it actually comes out a week from today, which is really, really weird. I feel like I'm giving birth. It's everything that I would have wanted in a witch book like 10 years ago. I talk about who the witch is and the archetype of the witch and a brief history of who she is. I talk about the wheel of the year and the witch's holidays and the solstices and equinoxes and cross-quarter days. I talk about energy and the chakras and meditation and the subtle body. Um, I have a chapter on fashion magic that is honestly probably my favorite and super special to me. And then I also talk about tarot and astrology, have a chapter on crystals, on earth magic, so working with different herbs and teas and different modalities of honoring the earth through that. Um, I have a chapter on moon magic and working with the cycles of the moon. It really has a little bit of everything, and it's my whole goal with the book is to give witches of all levels, although it kind of is like a witch 101 guide. So if you don't really know where to start, this is what I'm going to be recommending people who always ask me where to start. It is a way for people to create their own practice and hopefully craft their own brand of magic that feels good for them. It's not it's not a prescription. It's a recipe that you can adapt as you see fit. But I tried to give the witch everything she needs to create her own practice that feels juicy and delicious and good for her or him oh my goodness I can't wait to read it (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure lots of listeners are so excited to read it and just to end you know that's a question that I get asked all the time where do I start what book should I read and it's always one that's challenging to answer because I never want to give people assignments. And just because books worked for me doesn't mean it's the right books for them. But it sounds like this is definitely a great starting point for them. And just as a quick takeaway, is there a suggestion that you can share with listeners who might be new to practice? Like, what's the first place you think that they could start besides reading your book? Of course, what's a, what's a what's an exercise or a ritual or something that you might recommend to dip their toe into the witchy water? Ooh, so I actually totally I remember on another episode of this podcast, I don't remember which one, but you suggested that somebody just go to the bookstore and see what feels good to them. And that's literally what I, what I always recommend to people is I love used bookstores and like especially like the metaphysical occult section of used bookstores. So as far as like learning, my suggestion, like you said, is to go and just sit and see what feels good. Like spend a few hours just like digging through books and seeing what feels good. I think as far as a ritual, that's such a good question. I love working with candles because I think it's really valuable to have like a focal point that's kind of a little bit more subtle. I, I love flame gazing and looking at flames. So I think just getting a candle and thinking of an intention and just lighting it and connecting with your breath and starting to feel like that more subtle energy and just allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling and like getting in touch with your body and less with your head is a super, super easy ritual. Like even taking time to breathe throughout your day, I feel like is is witchy because it's getting you connected to your own energy. 
also just gazing at the moon and knowing where the moon is, is a super, super easy way to kind of connect to something a little bit bigger than ourselves in an easy manner. So yeah, I think going to the bookstore, kind of seeing what, what feels good to you, taking notes, and then just doing subtle things like gazing at the moon and knowing where she is and seeing, starting to pay attention to her to your energy and how you feel, I think is probably a good place to start. I think that's very, very wise advice. So Gabriella, again, congratulations on your book. I can't wait until it's in my, my, I was going to say grubby little hands. That's not, (laughs) that's not a a phrase of self-love. My magical, glamorous Venusian hands. How about that? Perfect. And then finally, where can people find more about you, whether online or in real life? Yeah, so I live in Los Angeles, so I usually bop around the city, but most of my work is online. I post a lot on my Instagram and Twitter, which are both Gabby Herstic, G-A-B-Y-H-E-R-S-T-I-K. I write for a handful of publications, but my website is also like linked on my Instagram and Twitter that has most of my writing. And then I have a column on Nylon called Ask a Witch, which is also a little bit of like Witch 101 stuff that you can read. Yes. And I highly recommend that column. It's so great. And I think you just have such an open heart, a welcoming spirit, and you're a really terrific writer. So I highly recommend it for anybody who's curious to learn more. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Gabriella. Best of luck with your new book. And I can't wait to meet you in person someday. I know. I cannot wait to hug you. Yay! Future hugs definitely coming at us both. Absolutely. All right. You take care. Thank you. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Gabriella Herstick for joining me. It was a great act of beauty and pleasure to get to speak with her. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you, and you might make it on The Witch Wire. The Witch Wave was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Pam Grossman. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Chiquita Pascal and Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of shimmering stars. It really makes a big difference. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, you might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for witch emoji, all one word, in the app store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.